0: Welcome back to the True Transformation Podcast. My name is Josiah Novak, owner of the truetransformation.com and author of Diets Suck, now available on Amazon. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Teddy Wilsey, and he is one of the experts in sports rehab and performance. He has a sports performance and rehab center in Maryland called Healthy Baller, where he works with athletes, up-and-coming athletes, and general population people who want to continue to stay active in their daily lives. He also has one of the most valuable Instagram accounts that I've stumbled on in the past few years. If you follow him at Strength Coach Therapy, you can check it out. He's also the co founder of Citizen Athletics, an online training platform. Dr. Teddy has also been my personal physical therapist uh, in the recovery process following my torn bicep surgery that I had this year. And prior to that, he helped me get through some issues that I was having following a hernia surgery. So. Dr. Teddy's been invaluable and his expertise has helped me tremendously. Uh, I continue to utilize his services on an ongoing basis because I trust in his expertise and the process that he has for helping his clients. I wanted to get him on the show today to talk about just injury prevention, exercise uh, philosophy, talk about how to set up a proper training program that prevents and helps get through any nicks or injuries that you have. Uh, we talk about some of his opinions on mobility and recovery, and uh, we go, you know, relatively in depth today. The podcast has got some really, really valuable nuggets for you to pick up. So you're going to want to pay attention, take some notes. This one is a badass show. Dr. Teddy is a great follow too if you want to check him out on Instagram. Like I said, at Strength Coach Therapy, and uh, he puts out high quality tutorials and things that are going to help you advance in your fitness journey. So without further ado. Buckle up. Let's welcome Dr. Teddy Wilsey to the show. Welcome to the True Transformation Podcast with your host, me, Josiah Novak. Welcome to the podcast. Here's
1: my daddy, Josiah Novak.
0: Hey, before we jump into today's episode with Dr. Teddy, I want to just remind you that we have a free blueprint for you to check out if you are trying to get in better shape, if you wanna transform your body and do it in a way that is sustainable and permanent. So they don't have to go through this process time and time again of gaining weight, having to lose it, gaining it back, and just feeling miserable every you know few months and having to go through this process time and time again put together a blueprint. It's called the Look Good Naked Blueprint and it's yours for free. It's going to give you a step-by-step process for getting in better shape, utilizing methods that are very lifestyle friendly, that will allow you to enjoy your life, whether that's your social life, your family life, your work balance, whatever you have going on, finding more enjoyment while getting in better shape and looking better naked, of course. So go to lookgoodnaked.co and download the guide for free today. All right, let's jump into the podcast with Dr. Teddy Wilson, bro. What is going on, man? Thanks for jumping on the show. It's only taken us about uh, I don't know, <laughs> seven years No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having
1: me, man. No, I'm happy to do it, and that's why when, when you were in the office last week, I was like, dude, let's just schedule this right now while you're here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, I, I've been going to Teddy for rehab for a couple of different things. Um, I think when I'm trying to think what it started with because it was before my bicep tear. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it for? I can't even remember <laughs> your left, your left <laughs> knee. Oh yeah. No, no. The left knee was after the bicep tear. <laughs> well, well, I saw you before
1: that and we did some split squat ISO holds. And oh
0: like, yeah, that's that right. Thing. That's right. So basically, yeah, just constantly dealing with my, uh, my idiocy, right. My just stubbornness and w- unwillingness to learn from my mistakes. <laughs>
1: I know, man, but we're just trying to keep keep ourselves together here. You know, it's uh, training hard on the other end of 30 is a little bit different.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. Like, and I was gonna ask you about this. Is it true that when you hit a certain age, like all of a sudden injuries start to happen? Or, or is that completely false?
1: there's definitely some truth to it you know i mean it's you see it it like sports fans observe the same thing with you know the people that they're watching we can still perform at a high level but we just can't do it day in day out the same way because we're not going to recover sure so that's where uh somebody like yourself or, or me who likes to train hard we can get ourselves into trouble you know so you have to be a little bit more methodical with how you're planning your workouts and Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like medicine. More isn't always better. You got to find that, that
0: right dosage. How do people find that though, man? Because like the dosage seems to change for me like sometimes dramatically week to right. week. Right, right, I
1: think that the way you do it is, so it's similar to nutrition, right? So, so if nutrition, if you have somebody that's never really done um, a formal, I don't want to call it a diet, but a formal approach to eating uh, and I know you don't like the word diet, so <laughs> it hasn't done that. We're going to bleep that out later, don't worry. Right, right. One of the first things you want to do is just kind of find out where their baseline is. Have them track things for a few weeks, see, okay, what is their caloric intake? What, where are they right now? I think the same thing happens with training. And so if I get a power lifter or, somebody that's, or you know, uh, somebody that's doing mixed endurance type events like yourself or, or anything in between, I'm like, hey, get an idea of where you're at right now start to track. And that way we can start to make small changes because it's, it's not large. It's 10% either way is oftentimes what's going to, what's going to make or break us. And so that's how we find that moving target of how much to actually do. You got to work backwards, see what you are doing, and then you can kind of get an idea. And sometimes, you know, you'll listen to your body and you'll do this auto-regulation approach for years And you'll realize, oh man, I actually, I feel better when I squat three out of four weeks instead of four weeks in a row. Mm. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. If you can still keep your, your leg strength up, you don't have to do, there's nobody out there that's saying you have to do everything every single week. And there's nothing out there that your body's not going to respond to seven days versus a 10 day cycle differently. So, you know, we structure everything by the week. We do everything kind of in this, because that's the way we, in this certain fashion, because that's the way we thought we were supposed to do it growing up and, and whatnot. But I think the best way to figure out what your perfect dosage is, is to write down and then look back and say, oh, that's, that makes sense. And you can modify from there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, in today's day and age, right. There's just so much information out there now. It's like, I actually just was on a call with a client and they were like, you know, I, at one point in my life, they were spending hours and hours every week on YouTube and on Instagram, like reading different things in terms of how to set up your program, how to, you know, avoid injuries, how to overcome injuries, right? And it, it starts to be I'm overwhelming, man. Like, absolutely. Where, where do people, you know, who aren't, cause we're, we're in the industry, we, we have a little bit more expertise than someone who's just, you know, a day-to-day person, not really caring about fitness. Where do people start to create an effective program? Because like, there's so much fancy crap out there, dude. Like, right, right. <laughs> it's like endless, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's it's challenging. I was just having a, uh, one of our coaches here writes my programming, and I was just joking around with him about that this morning. We were like, I like doing ergs and rows, and I like doing the VersaClimber, and I like doing farmer's walks, and but I can't do it all at once. And it probably doesn't make sense to do all of that in the same training block even. And, and so I think the challenge is you got you to gotta just choose a couple things and really see them through and stick with them for a little bit Mm. because the, the, the problem arises when you open up your Instagram and that's how you decide what you're going to do that day for your workout, Mm. you know? And so Mm. um, like I when with my posts all the time, I'll tell people, Hey, if you're going to try this for your shoulder rehab, do it once a week for the next six weeks. Mm. Don't just, cause I get so many people, I'm going to try that tomorrow. And it's like, oh, that actually made it feel worse. And it's like, well, maybe maybe we're exposing a weak spot and maybe that's part of the process. You know, if you have knee tendonitis and you overload it with strength training, it might actually feel worse. But everybody knows through research that the solution to tendonitis isn't just to leave that tendon alone because it'll just get weaker. Mm. You know, and so you have to, I think the solution there, man, is just like the simple approaches to training, like just pick a push, pick a pull, upper body and lower body, Throw in some accessory work, arms, you know, lunge variation, shoulders, and, and call it a day. I think whatever approach you take, it just, there's so much power in being organized with it.
0: Mm.
1: And it doesn't take a lot of time. You could just pull out your notepad of your phone and, and you could almost work retroactively, just train instinctively for a week the way you've been doing for months or years, but write down what you did that week and then tell yourself, okay, I'm gonna do this same thing for the next three or four weeks. You know, I think a lot of times when people get little tweaks that are like workout based tweaks, it's because they're trying new stuff Hmm. or they're pushing really hard, which you need to sometimes to see gains, but you need to kind of figure out how often to push really hard. Yeah. But variety is the spice of life, man. I know. know. And that's, (laughs) no, I, I totally hear you. And that's the challenge. And that's where therein lies, you know, one of the biggest challenges of social media, and the constant revolving door of new exercises and workouts and and you know I know that if i posted some goofy exercise where i reached a kettlebell from my left foot to my right shoulder and then swung it around my back and tossed it up and i was blindfolded and standing on a bosu ball i'd probably get more views and likes than i would <laughs> if i just posted me doing like a you know like a push press with a kettlebell mm-hmm. but the rea- and so people like to see that that new you know those new movements new workouts but it's it's a challenge
0: yeah it's almost like that that old marketing's tactic of like you you know you you pull them in by giving them what they want right but then you right. deliver what they need oh absolutely absolutely i do that i do that all the time with my instagram i try to i try to
1: maybe post the stuff that people will want to see but then in the message and in the captions and in the stories and in the consistent narrative that i push it's always about hey let's simplify things Let's mm. go back to the basics. Let's use what we know works.
0: Yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, I'm curious to know, like, what got you into sports rehab, too, because, um, there. well, put it this way. I feel like with Instagram and the, the you know explosion of social media, there's a lot of quote-unquote experts, right, yeah. who have yeah. massive followings. Right. But there's not a lot of people who truly, like, know their craft, right. Who have studied it, who have gone and, and invested in schooling for it, who have applied it in the field. Right. How'd you get into this man? Because you're one of the people I consider to be like, and, and I, by the way, I'm not the only one who says that you're an expert. Like I actually found you through other experts who I've considered experts for a long time who said, go see him. Cause he knows his shit. Right. Yeah. So how did you get into this? And what, what started this whole, this whole journey? Well, I
1: appreciate it, man. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So, You know, uh, I kind of had the cliche story that a lot of physical therapists do where I had um, injury situations early on in life. The first time I dislocated my shoulder was diving for a pass on the JV football team, my freshman year of high school. And so um, shoulder, it was kind of a subluxation and popped right back in. But, you know, I couldn't lift my arm for like a week and went to physical therapy and... Happened a few other times throughout high school and I ended up getting labrum surgery after my season, my senior year. And that also, I wasn't like a D1 prospect, but I, I could have played college football and that kind of derailed that for me because I decided I'm I'm tired of my shoulder killing me after every time I play football. Mm. So I had that experience and then I was always a workout guy. Like once I learned how to lift weights when I was probably in eighth grade, I just loved it, man. And so... Fast forward that all the way through college, went to exercise science, went to the exercise science route, um, and then just kept on pushing, man, just kept on going forward. And, like, the thing is, is once you go that exercise science route, if you're you're interested in physical therapy and movement and that kind of the deeper level understanding, you got to go to PT school if you want to learn that stuff. Now, in hindsight, a lot of what I use in practice is (laughs) – more from strength and conditioning with a physical therapy background you know cuz a lot of physical therapy itself is like you know if you walk into a physical therapy clinic as an athlete four out of five physical therapists aren't going to know what to do with you yeah and the, and the reason is that there's just not a lot of um there's not a lot of like active approach taught in physical therapy school so for me in my journey i i really kind of blended that strength and conditioning background with pt cuz you know, I'm, I'm 33. I didn't go to PT school until I was 26. And so I had four years in the gym. Um, you know, I wrote a blog for Brett Contreras. I was reading T nation every day. I was going to strength and conditioning conferences and I was very involved in the strength and conditioning world Mm. before I went to PT school. And so I think for me, that's what allows me to, to blend both of those disciplines and um you know that's where the the term strength coach therapy came from for for my instagram handle and it was like you know i competed in powerlifting during that time period too and so i was uh not only was i really involved in learning about it but i was i was a gym rat you know like two and a half hour workouts five six days a week Mm. and did that for years and uh not unlike yourself probably so you know it's for me it was it was a passion from the time i was young and I just continue to follow that and it's you know I still it gets harder as you get older but I still have that that strong passion and just love for the field and um, yeah man it's a it's a great field and we have the opportunity to change people's lives too and to really help them and we have this knowledge that so many people value whether they realize it or not you know you sit down you go to a wedding and you tell somebody, you know, sometimes we almost hesitate to tell people what we do because they'll want to pick our brains or they'll want to, or they'll want to tell you (laughs) about this shoulder
0: pain. Uh,
1: (laughs) right. right. Or or they'll want to tell you like about the struggles that they've had with their physique or their eating or their working out. And and it's a mind game too. And so that's the other side of it for me. That's so interesting. You know, I took a a lot of psychology classes in in undergrad and I've always found psychology to be interesting. And so Mm. when you blend the, the, the science, the biomechanics, the the understanding of anatomy, the strength and conditioning, and then also the psychological piece to help people actually change their lives and help with that behavioral change. I think it's um, it's just a really rewarding field, and and um, you know, I think it keeps us hungry.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm curious to know because you work with a variety of types of people. What's like the the biggest chunk of of type of person that you work with? Like out of all the segments that you have go through your your practice. What's the most common? Is it mostly athletes or do you work with a lot of general pop? Uh, it's
1: 75% athletes, maybe even more. It's kind of trending more right now. Um, it's mostly high school and college age athletes. Mm. And, you know, we've been, the gym will be uh, five years old in February. So we've been doing this for a while and we've been fortunate enough to have some of our even middle school age athletes go all the way through to college and professional ranks. And so we see the longer we're here, we see more and more athletes and we trend more towards that direction, which is cool. We're carving a niche. And, um, you know, for me, I think I can help athletes the most. Uh, but I also see like, you know, a a guy this morning, he's a, he likes to do these really challenging bike rides and like these, you know, these hundred mile bike rides and he's got some knee issues going on and he's in his early fifties and, coming to somebody like me, I think is a breath breath of fresh air for him because he's strengthening and getting back on his bike and not just being told his glutes aren't firing and stuff like that, you know? And so there's, um, I think taking the athletic approach resonates for a lot of people that want to be active, but yeah, the, the population that I see by and large is high school and college age athletes. And then the other, and then the other big slice is people like yourself, people in their twenties and thirties, uh, and forties who train hard and really value their health and value their mobility, not in terms of being flexible, but their mobility in terms of being able to do anything like, Hey, I want to go, I want to go on a vacation and do this gnarly hike, even though I'm not a big hiker, or I want to go do this, you know, people that people that like to live their life, like go getters. And so I see a lot of those kind of people too. I I hesitate to use the term weekend warriors, but that's the way a lot of people describe them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. The people who haven't completely given up on whatever pursuit that they have, right? Like, you know, myself, like with Spartan races, you know, I'm getting up there in terms of like, you know, the amount of years I've been putting into training, you know, is in the 20s now, right? So it's like starting to, you know, have some compound interest of, you know, aches and pains and beat myself up with extreme pursuits. Um, So I'm curious to know because – when we circle back to like program design, so someone out there who's listening, who's like, yeah, I like to have athletic pursuits. I like to work out, but I also like to apply, you know, the strength that I accumulate and the endurance that I that develop and all that into actual activity. One of the misconceptions I see in a lot of, well, I've seen a million programs designed from a million different people, right? And most programs these days leave out mobility, right? They mm-hmm. leave out stability. They leave out a lot of things that help prevent injury and also deal with the, the common injuries, right? From sitting at a desk all day or, or the common tightness that you get, you know, you wake up in the morning, your lower back's tight, whatever, right? See it all the time, but these programs don't address that. What can people start to include in their program design to both make them feel better, right? And also prevent injury, yeah, so I,
1: it's funny, I go back and forth with this because sometimes people that come to see me, they've found me online and they're, they're inherently curious individuals and they've already tried a lot of stuff. And I, what I don't want to do is add an extra 30 minutes of activation and stability work to their programs Yeah. because it's not sustainable. So for me, I, I really, I always go back to, and I'm not answering your question yet. I'll get to that in, in like literally 30 seconds, but I always, (laughs) I always, the first thing I always go back to is that training piece. Are you, is, is everything there structured? Mm. Once we go past that, then to kind of address your question, how do we fit that stuff in, you know? And I think first of all, it needs to be on a, a as needed or a needs case basis. So for me, having had two shoulder surgeries and always struggling with shoulder mobility, That's always going to be a priority for me. I'm always going to do something overhead just to open up my shoulders. And uh, I prefer to do that at the beginning of my training session as a warm-up. You know, one of my mentors in this field when I was a strength and conditioning intern, uh, Buddy Morris, who's the head strength coach for the Cardinals, he he used to always say, warm-up to train, don't train to warm-up. And so what he meant by that is instead of just starting your training and that's how you warm up, like instead of just pulling the barbell out and going naked bar for 10 reps, 135 for 10 reps, 185 for eight reps, he was like, just warm up to train. He was like, just warm up to train. So, so use that opportunity to get your hip mobility in, to do your hurdle over unders, to do your your clamshells or that boring stuff use that opportunity to fill in the gaps, so to speak, with your glute activation, with your bridges, with your minivan around your knees. Um, For you, maybe your split squat ISO holds for patellar tendon resiliency. Mm -hmm. So my basic, the way that I program this stuff for people and the way I always suggest is use those, that time, that warm up time to get in the special corrective type movements that you need. And that way you're not adding a ton of extra time, hopefully to your training. You know, I, I see a lot of people, it's our athletes, they all come in here and we joke around, they hop on a foam roller and they lay on their stomach and they've got their quad on the foam roller and then their cell phone in their hands, like right in front of them. I see that by gym all the time. Right. And so everybody freaking just cakes through their warm-up. Yeah. you know, or they, or they start off slowly, which is good. I mean, you got to, you know, let the nervous system turn on over time, et cetera. Uh, maybe hop on the bike for five minutes before but i think that if you use that opportunity in that time period to fill in the gaps it's really it's really helpful and i i i see a lot of times with like powerlifters or people that are like very purist to what they do they they tend to not reach from other disciplines and so for powerlifters sometimes they're like it blows their mind when i when i want them to do like a single like deadlift as part of their warm up because they're like well first of all that's going to fatigue me and i'm like no it's not you're still going to be fine. And you know, and second of all, it's something they've never done before. And I'm like, well, if you have this hamstring strain, we got to strengthen that hamstring in a single leg position, not, not just deadlifting. Cause you've been doing that. Mm. So it's, it's, I, I term it filling in the gaps and you can also do it with your accessory work too. You know, maybe a, a shoulder stability exercise in between um, like a row or something like that. Something it's, you want it. Cause a lot of these movements aren't going to be fatiguing. Necessarily, especially if you're in a decent, uh, decent shape overall, you know. And if you're not in decent shape, then these can kind of help you to to uh, improve that as well. So,
0: yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I know I've worked with man uh, thousands of people at this point myself, and even just through my own experience, right? Like, there's been years where my warm up was like, you know, hopping on the bike, texting, you know, ten different people, checking my email or walk on the treadmill doing the same thing. And it was like just what you said, where it was like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, go do the empty bar for 20 reps and then, you know, throw on a plate. You know, it's like – and it's no no surprise that, you know, the body starts to not respond and it doesn't feel as good, you know. And so one thing that um, I'm curious to know, like, in terms of strength training, I feel like everybody needs strength training right in some some regards absolutely um but so many people are worried about getting hurt right like i talked to so many clients who are like don't hey i I need to lose weight but don't program deadlifts into my routine bro like i I always get hurt right so like how do you address that because that's a psychological thing too like you Mm -hmm. earlier where it's like so many of us have these like preconceived notions that I'm going to fuck my shit up, right? If I do squats or I can't do deadlifts or I can't do bench press because my shoulder, right? How do you work around those and how do you start to get to a place? And maybe you'd never incorporate those. I don't know. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, when you're working with a distance client or you're not working with them for every one of their training sessions, you're, you have more of a programming relationship. I think that you have to make changes a little bit more slowly sometimes to help facilitate that. You're not going to flip the script overnight. And it's important that you know, they, you know, that it's important that they stick with you for a certain period of time in order to see the results. They're not going to see, they're not going to get the best out of your programming approach if they only do it for four weeks. Right. So I think that you have to tread lightly with that. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with the same thing myself where uh, somebody tells me that their back hurts when they pick stuff up, but then they look at me like I'm crazy. If after four weeks of PT and they're starting to feel better, I want them to do a kettlebell deadlift off of a box with a 12 pound kettlebell. And they're like, they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, this is exactly what you're telling me is hard for you to do. So we need to help get you better at that. So in PT, we use the term, and this is from psychology, about how we frame the narrative or frame what we're doing. And with them, I think it's really important to reframe something. And so you say, instead of saying, hey, this is what hurts you, you say, this is what's challenging and this is what you need to get better at. And for some people, you got to just, you know, we, we're in the service industry. We are delivering to them a mix of what we know they need with what they want. Mm-hmm. And for some people, you got to skew a little bit more towards what they want. For other people, they're going to be more open towards trusting you and doing what we think they need. But, you know, that service industry, that business has to blend with our actual science and approach of training. And so that's where if you can just get somebody doing like a, a light deadlift or uh, some, a dumbbell bench or, or start them with pushups first. I mean, I think that taking those baby steps and, and using those tricks of the trade, like, hey, we're not doing a deadlift. We're doing a, a dumbbell squat holding the dumbbell below us. <laughs> or like you know like you can but that's not like i had a, i've had people before um you know especially at my uh the first job that i had where i was working with much more of a, a older general pop, pop you know clientele they hear all sorts of stuff from their doctors i'm like oh no this isn't a squat this is a sit to stand <laughs> it's like you know and it's like well the doctor told me not to squat i'm like well okay you have arthritis so You know, it's, we know that arthritis is, responds well to exercise and strengthening. Just like any, any issue, really, the, the poison is made by the dosage. It's not just the, the movement itself. And so it's, it's about reframing it and meeting them where they're at, you know, because you're not going to flip that, uh, flip their entire understanding, um, overnight.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like the, the changing of the name. That's, that's pretty, these aren't squats. These are right. shit. <laughs> and
1: that's right. And that's, and that's like the most literal sense of reframing. Yeah. And then, and then the less literal or the more kind of sneaky way to reframe is just by telling them, um, Hey, this is really light. And we're going to do this for a while because it's going to help you with that. And you know, maybe they, maybe that helps them feel better about it.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things you see a lot of people doing that are almost like a waste of time? Like I, I know, I don't know if foam rolling was brought up in one of our conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see like, right. it's almost all over, you know, the internet. If you search for mobility or sore muscles or, you know, my knee hurts or whatever, it's like, all right, well first start with, you know, digging in to right, your body right, right. with the foam roller. Like what, what, what is the deal with that? I mean, is that accurate or what are your thoughts?
1: So I say that I think that foam rolling, and this isn't just my opinions. You know, every one of my opinions, quote unquote, is influenced by research and changing, changing opinions. And you know, my wife, when we first started dating, we would go to the gym together. Uh, she, I would, I taught her how to foam roll and all this stuff. And then, like years later, she was like, "You know, I noticed that you don't really foam roll anymore, and you don't really like it." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, my my opinions have evolved based off of research." And we used to think there's a time period where we thought that we were kind of breaking up adhesions and fascia and we were making a physical change underneath our skin, but we're not really. With foam rolling, all we're doing is tapping into the nervous system and we're relaxing that muscle and that tone via that touch. So it's the same way that if you go to get a massage, you might feel better. You might feel more relaxed. You might have this uh, sympathetic response where you're, you know, you're, you're, face turns flush and, and this autonomic reflex response and and there is something that's happening, but you're not changing the actual physiology of the tissue underneath the skin. Mm. Cause that tissue is really freaking strong. Yeah. And if you were able to deform that by just laying on a piece of foam, then imagine what a four or five hundred pound bar on your back would do. You know, it would completely it would completely change the shape of that of that fascia around your traps, but it doesn't. And so what we found out is that it's not as important because these, these trigger points in this fascia is a little bit more of a moving target and a little more of a quality of the nervous system than it is a physical thing that can be permanently altered through touch. Hmm. So if people enjoy it, there's, there's no real detriment to it besides just your time investment of doing it itself. And the, and the, and if, the belief of that is so strong that you're not
0: willing to try anything else. Right. You know, yeah, that's like, the detriment. I've seen, um, you know, foam rolling has now turned into, uh, you know, like actually uh, doing like hardcore uh, foam rolling of like you know, putting your leg on like a kettlebell or some shit, you know, oh, or, or like, a, like, and I'm like, dude, like if, if someone's already got a lot of pain in an area and then they take a freaking piece of metal or like a lacrosse ball and they're just digging and I'm like that seems like it's not a good idea right like I mean maybe it is maybe it isn't but I, to me like right, my right, first right. instinct is like that seems off
1: yeah and it, it's really an individual thing too it depends on the person and whether you know their muscle is actually displaying that that tight tonic state versus they just feel something and they're just guess and press or press and guess yeah you know um so there's, there's so many quote unquote recovery tools out there that are designed around just putting pressure into your body. Um, have you seen body tempering? No. They're like They're like these like 100 pound, 120 pound cylinders that look like foam rollers. And what would happen is you would be sitting on your butt with your legs straight out on the floor. And I would take this and roll it up and down your thigh. mm and people are doing that they're doing body tempering for their full body after workouts, and you know there's again there's nothing wrong with this stuff if it's if you're just doing it for fun and it feels you enjoy it, you know people do all sorts of weird stuff for fun but <laughs> yeah and dangerous right, so stuff, we're just dude. yeah we're just tip we're just at the tip of the iceberg here, but um you know all sorts. But the reality is it shouldn't be taught as a quick fix or cure all in the uh, world of physical therapy and in the world of um, actually addressing injuries. And so one of the challenges there is like if somebody has a real joint issue that they need help with like a prescriptive approach to loading it, whatever, and instead they're just foam rolling every day and, and their personal trainer telling them, Oh, you're, it's just this one tight thing. And it's like, you know, it helps to have that, that assessment. So
0: yeah. Cause I that's mean, that's
1: the challenge
0: when I, you know, as I got into more endurance based stuff, right. Um, you know, you have aches and pains, you start to reach out to experts or quote unquote experts. And I, I can't tell you how many times I would reach out to running experts. And the first thing they would say is like, Oh, you just need a foam roll. Like, I oh, just need a foam roll. And I'm like, dude, like, okay yeah like, yeah why though what, what what's causing the pain not foam rolling like no like, right i haven't foam rolled my whole life you know what i mean like i've played sports and a lot crazier stuff than what i'm doing now but yeah no i i just think that um it probably falls more in line with like the the easily sold you know fix right like oh it's right. easy to go sell a thousand foam rollers right than it mm-hmm. is to be like hey go invest you know, 5,000 bucks into a really good PT you know, over the course of yeah, two yeah. Years, Right. Like right, someone who's right. going to fix your shit. Um, what, what are some, so I know one of the things we've done in terms of helping with uh, different little, you know, aches and pains I've had is dry needling. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the things you incorporate into your practice. A lot of people I know have brought that up to me, but I'm not an expert in it. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not at by any means an expert. in. It. so I'm curious to know, like what, what's the point of it? Why do you use it? And, and how can it be effective or, or helpful?
1: Yeah. So dry needling very similar to the same uh, response that our nervous system has to touch, but just to a greater degree, dry needling can change the tone of the, of the muscle. And so what you see is that if I'm dry needling, let's say you're like what we were working on last week, your lat and Terry's major in that area in your underarm, uh, kind of the, just below the posterior cuff of the shoulder. If you're limited in internal rotation and this area is tight, what dry needling can do is downregulate the tone of that muscle tissue, and allow you to open it up more so you can get a little bit more range of motion Um, similar with your quad and kind of that pull that tracking that we were looking at with your patella same thing if we see one particular area that is um, holding a lot of tone and is tighter we can change that Mm -hmm. you know and so tone is a quality of muscle tissue system that's part of our actual awoken being if you were under anesthesia you wouldn't have any tone um, mm-hmm. If somebody has a, a, a stroke or a child with cerebral palsy, um, you see the different postures of their arms and their hands. That's because of the different the change in tone in their body and the way the muscles are pulling on their joints and bones. And so, what we see is that if a muscle, um, and we don't have a great understanding of why this happens, it's a combination of biomechanical reasons, um, you know, compensations patterns that we learn over time but if somebody's a little bit off one muscle can deve- can demonstrate a high amount of tone that can be a driver of a pain sensation mm. and you know without making a huge physiological change we can slightly alter that tone give them some things to work on that we see might be the base cause of that compensation maybe the you know you had your biceps repair so your arm was at your side for pretty much two months by the time you, by the time you're really kind of opening up your arm again overhead, because after a biceps repair, you're, you're limited on shoulder motion afterwards too, because of that, that, that two joint attachment of the biceps. And so it would make sense that you'd have some extra tone in that muscle that had, hasn't been stretched for that long. I had the same thing after my shoulder surgery and being in a sling for a little bit. And so that's where dry needling can be a more effective and more direct
0: method to, accomplish the same goal that foam rolling or massage might. Got it. Okay. So if we're looking at an overall game plan in terms of recovery and injury prevention, um, you know, and, and just trying to stay out of the the, the operating room, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that you would say are must haves? Like, because, you know, I there's people with all sorts of time, right? I I, I have this friend who's He's a retired guy in his 40s, you know, multi millionaire, sold a bunch of businesses. He's got all good there. for him. Yeah, awesome. Right. I want to go yourself, but that's cool. Right. <laughs> um, but like, I all he does is work out. Like, that's it. Yeah. He goes on adventures and then he's doing like, you know, 60 minutes in the cold tub and then 60 minutes in the sauna. I'm like, bro, uh, 60 minutes. I, put, I have six minutes.
1: I put on my story yesterday. I was like, who has time to sit around recovering? <laughs> <laughs>
0: right that's people a great tweet right. yeah. like who's got time to just sit uh, you know I mean so I'm like what because most 99% of the people listening to the show including myself we're, we're pretty busy you know I you know I have a schedule to keep I have kids to take care of you know I have a life to live so what are some of the must-haves in terms of recovery to prevent you know these these catastrophic injuries as best we can
1: Right, right. So so let's so let's look at one catastrophic injury, tendon ruptures, as as you just went through. Yeah. You know, our tendons respond to our hydration levels of our body. They respond to total stress, you know, and, and total stress in the sense that your body in general, when you have more of that that upregulation of your sympathetic nervous system, it's not thing your muscles and, and tissues aren't going to be quite as pliable you know? And so when you look back at the the bigger picture recovery for recovery, so much of it comes back to food and overall stress levels slash sleep, mm. you know? So I think the biggest, the most, the most important thing, and it's not the, it's not the sexy answer, but if you talk to most people that are, that have been in this industry for 10 years plus, they're not always going to give you the sexy answer at first because they, a lot of times with so many of our clients, we try to take care of the easy stuff first what are the what are the direct things that we can impact overnight and for recovery so much of it comes down to make sure you're getting enough of the nutrients that you need your macronutrients and also your micronutrients so your vegetables and fruits and and those sorts of things not just chicken and rice yeah you know so make sure you're hitting both of those ends and then on top of that make sure that you have some sort of control over some of the other things in your life. If you, you know, if you have small children, it's going to affect your sleep schedule. It is what it is. So you need to probably alter your training schedule a little bit. You might not be able to go as hard, right? Then, you know, so I think that the biggest thing for recovery is being able to step back and say, okay, this plan makes sense right now. I'm, I'm doing the right amount for what I can actually recover from, you know, and then, and then the smaller things are going for walks, having, getting some, steady or, or light jogs, whatever it is, depending on your, what, how much cardio you do in your conditioning level, but, but keeping your heart healthy and pumping, keeping your blood flow and perfusion to your limbs strong. And that's especially important as you get older and having some sort of base aerobic conditioning, even if you're just primarily a lifter mm. and um, you know, and then if you're primarily a, an endurance person, having some sort of base level of strength like what we said earlier, almost everybody needs to lift in some way, shape, or form. Sure. You know, even if you're, um, if you are older, it's actually more important for you because you think about as you age, you lose type two fibers before type one. So you lose those fast twitch fibers and that's what you need first. That's what you need most importantly to help you get upstairs or stand up from from a seated position. And so it's filling in the gaps of what aren't you doing enough of And then those other kind of biohacking or just finding ways to uh, optimize your health, I think is the most important thing for recovery. And then on top of that, also just understanding in addition to what your exercise program is and and how you can fill in those gaps, understanding about yourself. Are you somebody that when you get pain, it's because you get a little bit tight, Mm. you know, which might be you, which is me. Are you somebody who you have pretty loose ligaments and you're pretty flexible? This is more females than males. Uh, you could do the splits as a kid. And when you have shoulder pain, it's probably because you have an unstable shoulder and you need to do a little bit more strength training. Or when you have knee pain, it might be because you kind of have lax, lax ligaments and tendons and you're having some tracking issues and maybe just some, some strengthening of that, um, that patellar tendon can help there. So understanding what your own individual needs are, uh, I think is extremely important. And that's a big thing of what I help people with too. You know, one thing I, I take a lot of pride in is that your time with me is more than just that hour. Like hopefully, I hope that I've been able to have an influence on people that I work with to give them the tools that, Hey, I can't guarantee you that your knee's never going to hurt you again, but I can at least hope that you have a better idea of what to do. Mm, yeah, you know, that's powerful,
0: so- man. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's hard to to wrap our heads around the fact that the the non sexy stuff is really the biggest stuff, right? It's it almost hurts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Like, damn, I just want to sit in a cold tub, right? Like that sounds cool, man. Like going back and forth, you know, from a yeah. tub to a whatever. It's like that stuff is cool, but like it's like smoking mirrors, you know what I mean? Like, right. you ask the people who stay healthy, who stay in great shape, or whatever, it's like they're getting good sleep, they're eating their healthy, you know, nutrients, they're keeping stress levels managed, right? It's never non-existent, but managed. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to the times where I had my injuries and it was like, you know, I wasn't probably hydrating enough. Um, I was not getting enough sleep because of work and kids and whatever. And I wasn't listening to my body. You know, I was like, oh, fuck that. I'll just push through, you know, and be a soldier yeah. or whatever. It's like, well yeah I mean good luck with that you might get lucky, but then right right you know maybe not so uh, you you definitely have a, a massive um, massively valuable uh, social media platform um, what what do you try to put out like on a consistent basis what is because um, I know like for those of you for those people listening who don't follow you like you have what 10 million followers or something like that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's over 600 like Jeff Bezos of Instagram. <laughs> you might have the most followers on Instagram of any guest. I, I don't know. I have to double check that. I should probably fact find that, but I've had some big guests on, but I don't think they have as valuable and of massive following as you do on Instagram.
1: <laughs> well, so the, the content, I appreciate it, man. The, the content that I try to put out on Instagram is self-help in a way, yeah. you know, it's stuff that people can go on and use to help themselves. And when I started posting on Instagram, it was kind of a perfect storm of good timing because it was right around, it was a little over three years ago. It was right around when Instagram started to allow videos that were more than 10 seconds. So I was able, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know what? I'm trending away from Facebook. People aren't really using that that much. I'll still keep posting on Twitter, but I'm going to start doing this thing on on Instagram. And um, I wanted to make a a ref, uh, a library of exercises and movements that people could refer back to. So I made those organized hashtags where it's Teddy Talks and then instead of Ted Talks and then whatever body part I'm talking about, Teddy Talks knees, Teddy Talks shoulders, and just make a video with a few different rehab exercises and stuff people can use. So even though it is self-help, I'm, I'm still feeding into that challenge uh, or that predicament we were discussing earlier where there's so much out there. It's like, how do you choose what to do? And then in the captions, it's more, I, I typically write a couple paragraphs, and that's more for the person that is um, interested in learning on a little bit deeper level, mm. uh, usually somebody that's either in the field or passionate about the field. And uh, that's where I try to give people more the idea of, hey, this is how you, this is how to um get yourself in the right place, right frame of mind. This is how you can actually implement this stuff. You know, the captions oftentimes aren't necessarily linked to the video. It's not like, remember to do this for this, this, this form on this movement. Sometimes it's a little bit bigger picture and it can be all over the place. But I mean, my goal is to do that to film things in this beautiful gym that we have here. um, And not just on my, you know, in my living room at home, like, Hey, do this stretch with like my dog licking me in the face and, Nothing wrong with that. I just filmed but, a video like that, man. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. But it's and that has its own value on social media because it feels a little more personal. But I wanted to make it a little bit more professional from the gym gym feel standpoint. And then also those those frames that split screen so that when you look at it, and a million people are doing it now, so it's not really unique anymore, but it, yeah. it certainly was when I started. And it's it's helpful too because. When you look back at somebody's Instagram feed, it's like if there's no labels on there, uh, you don't know what to click. We've got our lights on. A-
0: <laughs> I was going to say, we just yeah, went full yeah. Blair Witch Project right now. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. For those of you who can't watch, Teddy just uh, his business just shut down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Instagram just called and said, Yeah, you're done. You're done. Uh, You're done. You made fun of dogs licking faces. How dare you? I know, I know. Sensitive culture just just gets so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say, one of the things I recommend to clients, um, at least early on, and for anybody listening like who's not a client, obviously take this advice and run with it, but um, I recommend a social media cleanse. Um, Basically, stop following 10,000 different people and trying to copy everything they do Right. Yeah. Um, and taking this advice one day, this advice the next day, and being all over the place. Pick, you know, because nobody's gonna go full, you know, whatever and and completely eliminate social media. They might say it, but being honest, they're not going to, right. So I say pick, you know, three or four different people to follow that give value, right? That are that are not gonna steer you in one direction and then you're going like, don't follow a guy who tells you to eat carnivore and then somebody else says eat vegan, right? Like that doesn't right, mean, right. Follow somebody who puts out trustworthy information, and have three or four people that you that you you know invest your attention into, um, versus a thousand different people. Because that helps keep you on track, right? And and not getting distracted. Because to be fair, like you know, there's so much information out there that any answer that you're looking for can be found with some diligence, right? Like if you dig and dig and dig, you you'll find it. Um, but it helps to have just a couple reliable sources of information. So anyway, I, I bring that up because it's whenever, good. Most. Yeah. Whenever I'm giving out like my list of, you know, occasionally on my story, I'll post like, Hey, follow these people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause your accounts, one of them, right. Cause you put out, you're not putting out a bunch of bullshit, right? Like, all right, try these 80 different kettlebell exercises tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't even have a kettlebell. God, what am I supposed to do? Right. So yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. And Instagram is, is such a, it's a, it's an evolving platform, right? I mean, um, a lot of the things that pop up are, you know, just because somebody gets 10 million likes, right. And it's like, yeah. it could be the worst advice ever. So mm-hmm. it's almost like sometimes digging for a needle in a haystack to find that really good information that, you know, you can rely on every week. Um, so I like that approach. I think that makes so much sense. It's like, it's like a catalog of like, Hey, if I need to find something, cause I tweaked my shoulder, Boom, let me start, you know, yeah. let me let me Teddy Teddy Talk Shoulders. Right, right. We need yeah. a Teddy Talks donuts or something. Get all the like, <laughs> best donut flavors.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know, the challenge with Instagram is like you said, there's so much stuff. It's like this revolving wheel and I I really like that advice of of choosing a few people uh that their message resonates with you. And you know, the other I'll throw out my little advice for social media too. I think sometimes it, it can be valuable to follow people that aren't necessarily an echo chamber. If there's something, maybe even a different field altogether, but you know, I, i uh, I like to follow like track and field coaches because I like a lot of some of the drills that they do and it's so different than what I do. But when I, I can still apply some of that to what I do. So it's, I like to, you know, I actually prefer these days to learn more from different kinds of coaches and less from other PTs who are posting the same exact thing as I am, you know? So I I think that that can be interesting too, like finding people from a few different sections. Um, But the challenge with social media in general is that people can, you can make it turn into an echo chamber and you can think, Oh, this is what everybody's talking about. But it's like, no, it's just, just your little circle.
0: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's also just, easy to get into, like, comparison mode, right, where... Yeah, which is... That'll just destroy you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a guy... Like, I try to avoid... You know, I'll throw it in from time to time, but I try to avoid, like, the humble brag. You know what I mean? Like... Right, right. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I, I really struggle with fitness. It's, like, so hard. It's like, dude, you're you're wearing a fucking Speedo and you're 2% yeah. body fat, like, you know what you talking about, right? Right, right. You know, it's yeah. like... Because so many you know, and not to go down like the rabbit hole of social media, but for those listening who are like, you know, not, not sure who to follow. I mean, a lot of these people with massive followings are just so starved for attention and I'm not being a hater, but it's like, it's almost like every day they wake up and think, what's the most extreme thing I can post to get attention. Right. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't always lead to enlightenment. If you're reading their stuff, it just leads to you thinking, well, this person is so far ahead of me, right? Like I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to fucking achieve this. Right. Versus having people you follow that add to the quality of your life by giving you solutions, like real, like tangible things you can go do today, uh, to make your life better. And whether that's exercise or business or philosophy or writing, whatever your deal is, right. Um, you know, it's, it's important just to have a few of those that are on your rotation. That's what rotation is what I like to call it. But yeah social media is a is an animal of itself man it's it's crazy
1: yeah i'll d I'll throw one other little social media comment on there so over the past couple of years I've gone to a lot of uh, conferences and workshops and for, been fortunate enough to have opportunities to speak at some of these things and be on panels and I've met a lot of social media people met a lot of other people with you know half a million followers and up and stuff like that and and I will say that the people that seem more genuine and down to earth on the internet are the ones that are way cooler in person. Mm. Like you can only, if you follow somebody and you see their interactions for a while, or you've gone down a rabbit hole in their comment section a few different times and seen the way they respond to people and it's, you can only hide yourself and fake who you are on social media for so long. Sure. So if you're somebody that, and I'm not, you know, we're not naming names here, but like if you're somebody that, you're posting two or three times a day and you're never responding to anybody on your comments and you're just, it's like your social media is literally, it's at for you, it's not at all about interaction and you're not valuing any of the back and forth. Whereas if you're somebody that's posting a couple times a week and you're actually putting work into your comment section and you're responding to people and look, I get tons and tons of DMs that I can't respond to. It's just the reality of life. Yeah. But if you're putting a little bit more effort into those interactions or if you're following somebody that it is, chances are that person's a little more down to earth. They're a little more self-aware. They realize that just because they have this large number and the, and the letter K next to their name doesn't mean that, you know, that they're God's gift to earth. Yep. And it's been really interesting meeting these people over the, over the past couple of years. And uh, you know, the people that I've met that I kind of had a, not great impression about from the internet or just from seeing the way they interacted and, or didn't, it's like almost always held true. So it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've, I'm the same boat, man. Like, you know, I've met, man, I've met some big names and I've met some people who aren't that big, who are cool as shit, you know, but I've also met some, some unicorns who have, you know, massive followings who are just cool as hell too. (laughs) Like, you know, and you're like, damn, why don't you have 10 million followers? You know? Um, but, yeah, I always say, like, anybody who's trying to grow their social media, you know, keep in mind, man, like, if you're ever cooler on the internet than you are in real life, like, it kind of <laughs> sucks. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, people are always surprised when I meet clients or whatever. They're like, damn, you're – not to, like, brag or whatever, but they're like, damn, you're way funnier in person than you are online. I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, because at least I kept my soul, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the 19 year old posting pictures next to a Lamborghini. Right. Right. Whatever. No, I, 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 you know, going full circle, like the content you put out is awesome. So for those people who listen, you know, if you need just consistent, reliable, helpful content, um, you know, follow your stuff. Speaking of which, where can people connect with you, man? Um, Cause I know you do online coaching too.
1: Yeah. So, um, I do, uh, it's like a, it's a group coaching and training and that's Citizen Athletics is the name of the company. And our Instagram is Citizen Athletics one. Um, so just the number one after it. And then my personal Instagram is Strength Coach Therapy, just all one word, Strength Coach Therapy. And those are probably the two best ways to find me.
0: And if you're in, how, how often do you take, cause I mean, I know you're busy as hell, but um, if people are on the East coast or in the DMV area, um, Are you taking clients? Like, are you able to get people into the gym, or is it just yeah. i special like that? A <laughs> <laughs> little bit, a little bit of both. I mean, I have ten thousand know, followers minimum. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's
1: it's a challenge in that I'm we're growing. I'm growing this business, and I've been lucky to have it trend in the right direction. And I've uh, brought in two other therapists over the past two years that work with me, and so I definitely you know, try to help them build their businesses and keep them busy as well as myself. But yeah, I'm still seeing people. Sweet. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, especially the way I practice, I, I tell people, hey, I don't want to see you here every week necessarily. And so I see, I have a lot of people similar to yourself that we get to know each other. I know what their stuff is, you know, a checkup, tune up, that sort of thing every now and then is valuable for them. Um, we have good conversations about what else they should be doing, but it's not the typical physical therapy experience of see me twice a week for six weeks and never again. Yeah. So I have uh, a lot of people that um, I've built those that relationship those relationships with over the years and that was kind of my my bigger picture vision for PT in general was almost like, you know, you got your primary doctor that you go see and, and medicine's evolved to, it's not really like this anymore. But the original goal of medicine was to have your primary care doc and they know what's going on with you. And they'll, if they run into you on the street, they'd recognize you. Yeah. You know, now, now you go there and you spend six minutes and they're staring at the computer screen the whole time. <laughs> right. But my goal is to, you know, I have a lot of, I have some lifters that I work with and I can talk to them and be like, Hey, how'd that, you know, how'd that competition go? How's, how's the left knee doing now? And so, so yeah, I I see, uh, I still see new people in in that, but you know, the busier you get, it's harder to get people in like right away. And that's one of the challenges with PT is because somebody hits you up and they're like, Hey, I want it. My knee started hurting last week and I want to get in there today. Yeah. So that's, that is one challenge, but no, I'm still taking new people.
0: Sweet, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you spending some time on the show today, man. Um, it's always good catching up and, um, yeah, you, your help has been invaluable. I mean, my knee pain is non-existent, um, from the work we did a few months ago or whenever it was with, with the knee, um, and the shoulders already feeling better too. So just got to trust the process. You know, I got to be my own, my, my, I got to take my own advice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Hey man, I really appreciate you
1: having me on and, uh, always enjoy a good conversation. Yeah, dude. Appreciate it, man. Talk to you real soon. All right. All right, brother. Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.